Good afternoon. My name is Sherman. His name is Sherman. Thank you for joining us uh, again and or for the first time. Uh, and we are together here on a uh, across the country, but uh, we are here together in the, in the Midwest, Chicago, on a beautiful autumnal uh, afternoon. So good to be uh, back uh, back behind the mic with you, Sherman. Yeah, always a pleasure, Dad. And it is the sixth episode, and so it is once again my turn to choose a piece of pop culture. And so I'm going with a song. I'm going in the Wayback Machine. I'm going with Ludwig van Beethoven, the uh, piano sonata number 17 in D minor, opus 31, number 2, which is known as, and this will make it easier to search, The Tempest. It's just over seven and a half minutes long. was uh, composed around 1801, 1802, and it's probably my favorite piece of classical music. And if it's not, I just can't think of any others right now that I enjoy as much, but it's if it's not my favorite piece of classical music, it's my favorite uh, classical piano piece. Um, it, hopefully that makes sense to everyone. I don't even know if it makes sense to me. But I've been listening to it uh, a fair amount in the past few years, and I was thinking of it the last, well, not even 24 hours, I guess, maybe, what, 18 because of the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a, a powerful, wonderful woman in the United States, uh, Supreme Court Justice, and my piano teacher, I viewed similarly, uh, was a, a wonderful woman who taught myself and all five of my sisters from first through eighth grade, and then uh, she also taught me senior year of high school and it was kind of that classic thing of when you're growing up you don't really necessarily want to do something that your parents are making you do because they are making you do it but once you get older you either want to do it yourself or appreciate that your parents made you do it which is why I went back to piano after I was done playing sports in high school because by the time you know I was 18, after three and a half years away from it, I missed it a great deal and missed Ardith, uh, my teacher. And so, yeah, I've just been thinking about it uh, the past you know day or so, uh, thinking about this piece, her, uh, due to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, because Ardith has since passed um, since I stopped playing. Yes. So yeah, it's a it's a wonderful piece. I highly recommend it. Again, it's Beethoven's The Tempest. I just okay. gave the actual name. Um, so yeah, the Wayback Machine. You can find it on. I listen to it on Spotify. It's on YouTube as well. Uh, so I, I'm not sure I'm going to get many fans from this, but just what's been on my mind and Thank what you. I've been playing. So I'm going to uh, certainly call that up uh, on Spotify uh, later today. Um, or maybe this evening after dinner, sitting outside, out back, uh, now with a coat, or we'll have a coat on at that point. 
perhaps a glass of wine. So thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. And and yeah, artists, uh, a piano teacher, as you said, for you and and your sisters. Um, yeah, was a lo lovely lady. Uh, but but also you you knew she was so strong-willed and disciplined, but at the same time just a lovely lady. Um, and in in fact, she was she was particularly thoughtful and, and sweet uh, to me. You know, after uh, after my sister uh, Claire passed away, um, and Claire was a beautiful piano player. Um, I I actually took you know some lessons from from Artith. Um, I would I would play with my sister Claire. She would play this one kind of chord or whatever you call it in piano. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, we, we, we did a, a, a duet. Um, and I could literally play anything. And I didn't know how to play the piano. I could play anything. And this particular you know, kind of chord that she would keep playing allowed for knuckleheads like me just to pound the, 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 uh, the ivories. And uh, that was a, a wonderful experience in memory. But when I sat down with Ardith uh, for the first time, she said, what would be a song that you would aspire to you know, be able to play? And without hesitation, I said, uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Mm -hmm. And she's like, uh, oh, man, that's, uh, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but uh, that has some beautiful piano in it. So. so that was actually the other piece I was thinking of to choose because I never attempted to play Beethoven's The Tempest because I was not, and I'm not, a piano prodigy or prodigy of really any type. Uh, but I did, uh, we attempted to play that, Ardith attempted to teach me, probably 7th or 8th grade, maybe senior year, but it was later um, in my, in terms of lessons uh, because I was, I finally got up the courage to ask if I could play something more modern um, because not many kids, I imagine, strictly want to play classical music. And that was by far the hardest piece I attempted to learn uh, because I played Bridge Over Trouble, or uh, pardon me, I played Piano Man and had that down. Um, granted, I want to say I played an easier version, but it was you know still pretty recognizable. But I maybe got only halfway through the actual version of Bridge Over Troubled Water. That, that gave me a lot of trouble. Um, so yeah, I was just. Uh, but I want I wanted to go a little you know further back in history and time. So I ultimately went with Beethoven over Simon and Garfunkel. Um, but great song as well yeah yeah and you know as as a as a parent watching um watching your your child or your your children uh, perform uh in sporting events growing up uh as for you guys you know grade school high school um and participating in sports that that's one thing cuz you know team sports you, you're, you're as a parent sitting in the stands, you're or standing on on the side of the field or whatever. Um, uh, you're obviously um, a little bit anxious, but the the team concept kind of 
softens that. But when it is, as you guys did, you and your sisters, uh, you know, that year-end piano performance, when you are up there on your own, <laughs> um, you know, uh, it, 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 that is as nervous as a, I get as a parent um, back then. Because I was familiar with the, the, the songs, right? Because I'd heard them for months on end <laughs> to practice in the house. And that time when you were probably, what do you think, eight or nine years old when you were up there? And you did two songs, and you got through the first song. I'm like, good, yes, yes, thank goodness. And then the second song, for what, whatever, you just were doing a riff at the start. I'm like, this is not the song. This is <laughs> not the song. And then you just stop, you know, maybe... 30 seconds into it, and again, you're nine, 10 years old, um, and you just turned your head to the left and looked out at the audience, and, and there's just this quiet, pin, pin drop quiet, and you said, uh, uh, I, just, I just goofed up the whole darn thing, which then, of course, brought the house down. So that was great, and the reality is, and you, know, you learn those... You experience those things then, but you learn from them down the line. You, it was far from uh, goofing up the whole darn thing. It was a wonderful moment, um, uh, uh, the way you uh, uh, responded to it in the moment. So that, that's a pleasant memory. Yeah, I mean, I believe that was my first, I mean, probably my first time doing, like, anything publicly or on a stage, and I want to say that was my first recital ever so that probably would have been first grade maybe second yeah so i was eight or nine yeah i remember i think i played yeah maybe you know 10 to 20 seconds and i stopped and she's like that's not the song and i was like yeah i don't remember it at all and well let's just let's remind um our friends and listeners that you were doing it without the sheet music so right yeah i mean i yeah i'm wasn't a prodigy, but I was pretty good. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm going to say... Well, your grandpa Reynolds and his brother, you know, that, that came through. Uh, that yeah. was, you got some of that. And I think uh, your youngest two children, I, I'm going to say, were the best pianists. And uh, so, yeah, and then uh, she came and played a few of the notes for me for the actual song I was supposed to play. Then I went from there, but I, I mean... Every single recital, and probably up until late high school, early college, every time I did anything, but like anything involving the stage of any type, I had brutal stage fright. My every time I played piano, my fingers would just become totally stiff, and I was, which makes it quite difficult to play an instrument, um, especially one involving strictly your fingers. And uh, so that was always fun uh and then if i remember i had to do a speaking part uh my legs i felt like were shaking violently and the whole world can see it was probably just you know minor and no one really noticed but yeah growing up stage fright terrible yeah, yeah i and senior year in high school second semester uh i had this uh you know what i thought was just a a, a wonderful plan to um you know ease through second semester senior year at uh at Loyola and um so I convinced uh my dear old 
friend uh, Riggs to join me in uh, uh, participating in uh, Glee Club. Glee Club. That was more, that, that experience, that class was more work than any class I had in high school. Um, well, I think fundamentally because I don't know how to sing, um, but I love to sing. And um, there's, it's, it's serious, it's serious stuff. We learned that very quickly. I and mean, we, we ended up doing, you know, a couple uh, uh, group live performances and the practices were, were uh, um, intense. Uh, I looked back on it and there's a funny enough there's a, a a little thread there one of the songs we did in performance was uh yet again a simon and garfunkel song and it's a beautiful song uh scarborough fair uh so uh, Riggs and i uh and we're we, we are standing all of us in the glee club and we're the only two rookies and everyone else is you know they're they're talented <laughs> um but we're standing up on the stage on, on each of us on a, you know, a, a little box or something. It was, uh, it, that's that's as as nerve wracking as I got in in terms of uh, uh, in front of an audience. Yeah, that that I think has been passed down. Well, I mean, your your wife has that too, and it's been passed down the absolute, complete, utter inability to sing, but yet the yearning to still do it even in a public manner um that's especially uh, in a public right and so yeah i I definitely have that uh, gene uh, which has gotten me in some trouble publicly um but yeah so that's a so it sounds like you and uh, claire were kind of like hank and tommy aaron where together technically you were doing great things but really she hit 755 home runs, and you hit 13. Um, so while your total is 768, one of you did a lot more heavy lifting than the other. <laughs> uh, no, no question. Yeah. Uh, in fact, some, sometimes it, we were referred to as um, <laughs> Donnie and Marie. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I need to update, update my, my CV uh, for <laughs> those, those of you scoring it. Resume. I need to put a bullet point on there about, uh, I think, Glee yeah. Club. And, uh, oh, good. Yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, I, I, I think you could say, I don't think you have to get in specifics and say, like, Glee Club and Piano Helper. You can, you know, Musically Inclined make, and cover it. Or cover it. I guess I just need, I don't need, I, I just could, I could tighten up my, uh, or, or freshen up my LinkedIn. True. Well, uh, uh, LinkedIn, just a, a terrible thing in my opinion, but that's neither here nor there. I'd say Donnie and Marie, I mean, that'd be a, a better reference from my perspective than, you know, the, if you were called something about like the Partridge family. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Donnie Osmond, obviously the vocal star, or I'll say vocal male star of the beloved Disney movie, Mulan. So he'll always have a place in the hearts of people my age and go go joe right from joseph and the yeah. amazing technical drink this is true uh yeah i believe he was and uh so yeah i'd say that's you know in terms of pair references you, you guys got off 
pretty well there. Do you know right now, I believe this line's been used before in the history of civilization, but I believe Beethoven is turning over in his grave right now. (laughs) Yeah, it probably has been used. Well, I mean, hey, I was honoring the man. So, you know, if he is, I apologize. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all I have to say about uh, piano, music, and anything in between. So what else has been on your mind since our last recording? Well, uh, thank you for sharing um, earlier this week, uh, you know, an amazing uh, video um, uh, um, from Johnny Carson show in, in May of 1968. Uh, uh, Johnny is, uh, his, his guest is Marlon Brando. Uh, and I've, I've forwarded that on to uh, uh, a number of friends, but uh, if, if you would you know, just kind of provide your perspective on what the what the essence of the interview was about. Right. So I, as I mentioned last episode, I believe, watch and have been more, I, you know, kind of ebbs and flows. But lately, again, I've been watching a lot of older television interviews, probably in part because there are no new ones occurring, obviously, due to COVID. Um, and so I had thought uh, I'd seen really all the Johnny Carson ones I'd wanted to see obviously the mostly the ones I watch are with other comedians but I had seen this one kind of pop up due to the YouTube algorithm of you know rare uh, it was all capitalized Marlon Brando interview with Johnny Carson and it was from Johnny Carson's YouTube page so I knew it was like a legitimate one and it was one I'd never seen, and it was in black and white, which was rare for the Johnny Carson interviews I've seen on YouTube. And so, yeah, it was about 15 minutes straight, Marlon Brando, Johnny Carson, and talking about... I mean, this interview could have taken place last week, and I honestly don't know if people would really be able to tell other than the mentioning of certain events like Martin Luther King Jr. getting shot. Like if that kind of name was left out, then people would be like, yes, this interview happened in 2020, Um, which is why it was fascinating to watch and also so disheartening because everything they talked about, mostly Marlon Brando and Johnny Carson, you know, to his credit, agreed and helped uh, out ultimately, um, you know, is relevant today. And so it was, uh, in Marlon Brando, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised that an actor is well-spoken, as that is their job, but, you know, very, you know, it's all of his logic and emotion, uh, obviously they come together in moments like these and uh, like that at the time, um, in terms of civil rights, they melded together very well and, you know, just very quietly strong arguments and discussion in favor of civil rights and pursuing of uh, liberating um, really everyone uh, who needs it in the United States. And so, yeah, I just, I thought that would obviously uh, you would appreciate it being an adult who grew up with Johnny Carson and, you know, though he and Marlon Brando were more, uh, prevalent in your life growing up than mine, and I still appreciate, you know, enjoyed the interview. So I knew you 
would as well. So. Yeah, and and the thank you and the call like to to me the call to action uh, that uh, uh, Brando uh, uh, you know uh, focused on uh, or expressed is is resonates today, and that is take action by beginning to do something and you do that you can do that we can do that his words right person to person Mm -hmm. person to person right yes i mean again this interview could be i mean it could be probably taped in three years in the future and still unfortunately apply to today's society but yeah, I mean, his call to action, I think he donated 10%. I don't know if he meant just for that year or going forward of his yearly salary to Martin Luther King Jr.'s, um, uh, not a fund, but his... Southern Baptist. Yeah, his, his church. Yeah, and then got various other you know people in entertainment like Paul Newman to donate 1%. Um, and then also he was using his platform and having them use their platforms to push civil civil liberties uh, along. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was very impressive. I couldn't really uh, imagine an actor. I mean, it would I, I mean, I can't even like think of someone doing that really on any current talk show right now. I I'd, I'd like it if it happened, but that was a very concrete action on his part. I mean, he got Johnny Carson to hand over a literal check on TV, which was astounding to watch. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that preoccupied a good portion of my, my thoughts this week. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I guess just in, in real time, uh, these last couple of days and, and tomorrow is for those uh, sports enthusiasts. Um, uh, the U.S. Open golf uh, is, is taking place outside of uh, New York City. Um, and uh, it, it, uh, I actually spent in it, 1984 uh, when the U.S. Open was at Winged Foot. Uh, we were living out in the area and we went. And it got me thinking how cool that was. Remember that? I went with my cousin Larry that Sunday round. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Fuzzy Sauer and Greg Norman were uh, neck and neck battling down uh, to the 72nd hole. And uh, Norman's up ahead on the green, and he sinks like a 45-foot putt from just off the green. And Fuzzy's out in the fairway thinking that was for Birdie to win. So Fuzzy <laughs> pulls out and waves a, a white towel and that and um but it was, actually was for par so fuzzy then parred and then the next day they played 18 holes at, which was the way the u.s open conducted its playoffs back then a full 18 hole playoff and fuzzy won that convincingly but it got me uh just reflecting a little bit further in terms of uh golf that uh i've i've also been re- really um uh, again, just great, great breaks. I've I've been to an, a, a Masters at Augusta, um, and I've uh, also attended an Open, as as you know, our friends in the UK simply refer to it as the Open. Um, um, that was in 1982 when you're 
mom and I were um, living and uh, working in, in London, and that was really fun. And I think uh, Augusta, the Masters, was probably around in 04. But I will tell as as fun uh, experience, my favorite recollection of a, a major golf uh, is one is the one that I haven't attended, and that's the PGA. But why it's the the my favorite experience in that regard is that for a, a, a few summers on that Sunday afternoon in August when the PGA is held, we'd be up north in Michigan, and uh, again my cousin Larry and I would go down to uh, visit with grandma and grandpa uh, and uh, grandpa would have the, the black and white television on and, and Larry and I would lie on on the uh, carpeted uh, living room uh, floor and grandpa was very, very wonderful man uh, uh, and uh, but very proper I mean he he was wearing his uh, sport coat and a golf shirt, but the golf shirt was always buttoned all the way to the top. And um, uh, we, the, the three of us, and Grandma would come in and out too, but essentially Grandpa, Larry, and I would watch the uh, uh, Sunday closing round of the PGA uh, for a, a few summers in a row. Um, and that is my uh, m most favorite uh, uh, experience. Major memory? Yeah, in terms of... Uh, the four uh, golf majors. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. That's golf memories with Sherman Senior. <laughs> um, so, is there anything else uh, on on your mind in between these last two episodes? Um, no, I think I think pretty good for now. How about you? I, I I'm mentally exhausted, so it's uh. That's, that's it for now. So I'd just like to thank our sponsors who won't sue us, Dojos in St. Louis and Ashley Schaefer BMW. So that's it until Episode 7. Have a, have a wonderful day wherever and whenever you're listening. Signing off. Take good care.